Welcome to the Bloody Bible, the podcast where we explore why our fascination with crime is as old as the Bible itself. I'm Em. And I'm Kaz. And in this episode, we're taking a deep dive into the fascinating figure of the femme fatale. In other words, the fatal women. Now, we can probably all name a lot of powerful men in the Bible, but there are a few powerful women in there too. And these women are often identified as femme fatales. So let me ask you, Em, how would you define a femme fatale? I'd say that a femme fatale is understood as a woman who's beautiful, seductive, dangerous. She's known for using her sexuality as a weapon to deceive and sometimes to destroy even her victim. And her victim's usually a man, but not always, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the femme fatale can have victims of all genders, although she's most often depicted as targeting male victims Mm. and usually for some sort of profit, whether it's financial or social or personal. She might steal their money. She might manipulate them to commit a crime for her or she might even kill them if it benefits her in some way. So the femme fatale is typically thought of as this really dangerous figure. Mm. And part of her dangerousness is that she is just so irresistible. Her victims might recognise that she's dangerous and they might try to avoid her, but she's so enticing and alluring that they simply can't resist her. Yeah, the the figure of the femme fatale is such a cultural icon, hey? Yeah, oh yeah. She seems to be a timeless presence in mythology, in history, in pop culture. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we can all think of our own examples of famous women who've been portrayed as femme fatales. I mean, going back centuries or, or millennia even. I mean, there's uh, Pandora, Medea, uh, Circe, Lilith. There's Cleopatra, there's Helen of Troy, Mata Hari. Uh, Lady Macbeth, <laughs> Carmen, Carmilla, Irene Adler, Nikita, Catwoman, Villanelle. Oh my goodness, the list is endless, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. So one of the things that strikes me when we look at the women who get identified as femme fatales is that they're all women who have a strong sense of their own agency. They're not passive or submissive women in any sense. Do you think that's a feature of the femme fatale? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I always think the femme fatale is a a woman who rejects those traditional gender stereotypes that expect women to be helpless and submissive and dependent on men. The femme fatale refuses to be a passive object of desire. She rejects male protection and control. And she also turns her back on those traditional roles expected of women in patriarchal cultures. She's seldom depicted as a wife or a mother. Or if she is, she's a bad wife or mother. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's sort of more likely to murder her husband and cook his dinner and iron his shirts. So she, she makes her own way in the world. She misbehaves. She does what she wants to do. And no man can control her. So, I mean, in other words, she's a threat to the patriarchy, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's seen as this really anxiety provoking figure who threatens to cause chaos and disruption to the patriarchal status quo. And, you know, woe betide any man who falls for her charms because, you know, he's doomed. Mm. So if we think about biblical femme fatales, um, what comes to mind for you? I can think of a few biblical women who are regularly identified as femme fatales, although I'm not sure I'd agree that they actually are. No, no. 
There's Eve, for starters. She's often seen as the archetypal femme fatale, and over the centuries she's been accused of using her sexual allure to tempt poor old Adam into eating the forbidden fruit. Yeah, oh, poor Eve. Yeah, I'm not sure she deserves that label, to be honest. But you're right, it is has really been stuck to her over the centuries, hasn't it, as the, the archetype of the femme fatale figure. I mean, there's just so much we could say about Eve and the injustices that she suffered, but that's that's a whole other episode. Definitely, yeah. Now, of course, there's Salome, who appears in the New Testament Gospels of Mark and Matthew. She's the daughter of Herodias and the stepdaughter of King Herod. And we're told that Salome danced for Herod on his birthday, and he was just so entranced that he offered her anything she wanted. And of course, after consulting with her mother, Herodias, Salome asked Herod for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And unfortunately, Herod had no choice but to give her her wish. Yeah, I mean, I I feel sorry for John the Baptist, first and foremost, but I also really feel sorry for Salome because she does have such a bad reputation, even though, I mean, she basically only did what her mother told her to do. Yeah. But I guess she's seen as this femme fatale figure because she mesmerized Herod with her dancing to such an extent that he became like putty in her hands. So I guess that does make her a dangerous woman in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Another example I can think of, of a biblical femme fatale, is Queen Jezebel from the Book of Kings. And she co-ruled Israel with her husband, King Ahab. Now, Jezebel had a lot of political power. But it's interesting that she gained a reputation for having a dangerous sexual power, even though that's never actually mentioned in the biblical text. But as we know, the name Jezebel has kind of become synonymous with a scheming, treacherous female sexuality. Yeah, yeah, it really has. And I I wonder if that's also related to the fact that she's a foreign woman, because she she wasn't Israelite, she was actually from Phoenicia. And there is that kind of common and toxic age-old myth that we see throughout history, that foreign women have this exotic, potent sexuality that they use to seduce and manipulate men. And, you know, even the most powerful men, kings, emperors, heroic warriors, find these foreign women so enticing and irresistible, it inevitably leads to their downfall. Actually, it's funny you should say that, Kiz, because that reminds me of another biblical woman who is often portrayed as a femme fatale, the infamous Delilah. (gasps) Delilah! (laughs) You saved the best to last. I mean, she is my absolute favourite biblical femme fatale. So, Tell me what you know about Delilah M and why you think she is a femme fatale. I think she earns her femme fatale cred because she managed to single-handedly bring down the mighty warrior Samson. Mm -hmm. So Samson and Delilah appear in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament book of Judges. I think it's chapter 16. And Samson is this incredibly powerful Hebrew warrior who's been leading Israel in the war against the Philistines. And he's got this superhero level of strength and can literally kill whole armies of Philistines with his bare hands. Mm. And the Philistine elders are getting fed up with him, naturally, and they offer a woman called Delilah a huge amount of money if she can get Samson to tell her the secret of his strength. And so they figure out that if they can take away his superpowers, they'll be able to capture him. Mm -hmm. Now, we're told that Samson falls in love with Delilah, So she's in a good position to kind of wheedle his secret out of him. Yeah. And she asks him straight up, what is the secret of your strength? 
what would someone have to do in order to capture you? Yeah, she comes straight out with it, doesn't she? She really does. There's no messing around. <laughs> no. And at first, he keeps telling her the wrong answer. He kind of lies to her. He tricks her. But Delilah doesn't give up. She keeps on kind of pestering him to tell her the truth until he gets so fed up with her, he gives her the real answer. And of course, as we know, the source of his strength lies in his long hair, which has never been cut since the day he was born. And then once he tells her this, she waits till he's asleep, then someone cuts his hair off, and when he wakes up, of course, all his strength is gone. So the Philistines capture him, they gouge out his eyes, which is pretty gory, Yeah, and they imprison him. But Samson eventually gets his revenge, his hair grows back, and he gets his strength back. So when he gets taken to the Philistine temple and chained to some pillars, he's able to push down the pillars and he kills both himself and the Philistines inside. As for Delilah, though... She just kind of disappears from the story, never to be heard from again. So what I thought we would do in this episode is to focus on Delilah, of course, um, and think about what the biblical text actually tells us about her. And then compare that to some of her portrayals in popular culture as a sort of quintessential femme fatale. And we'll also think about Delilah in relation to some real life women who um, more recently have been labelled as dangerous, fatal women. Love it. Okay, so let's start with a rundown of what the biblical text does or doesn't say about Delilah, because there are quite a few gaps and ambiguities about her character in the text. So first of all, let me ask you, Em, what was her relationship with Samson? Well, According to the Samson and Delilah movies I've seen, they were in a sexual relationship, right? Mm. But I know that the biblical text doesn't make it that clear, does it? No, no, it doesn't. I mean, we're told that Samson is in love with Delilah, but we don't know how Delilah felt about him or what their exact relationship was, whether it was romantic, sexual or otherwise. But but you're right. In, in all the Samson and Delilah movies I've seen, the couple are portrayed as having a sexual relationship. And in some of these movies, they even fall in love with each other. Oh, that's super sweet. I do love a cheesy romance. (laughs) I know you do, Em. I know (laughs) you do. But I'm not so sure what you would think if you watched these movies. I mean, have you ever seen Nick Rogue's movie, Samson and Delilah? It came out in, uh, I think it was 1996. I think I've seen the kind of the saucy posters for it. (laughs) But I've never actually watched the film the whole way through. Oh, you're so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) It's really excruciating. I mean... You can watch it on YouTube. It's it's up there, uh, all two and a half hours of it. But I'd really, I'd really advise you against it. So Liz Hurley plays this very cool and calculating sort of post-feminist Delilah. And the very handsome actor, Eric Fall gives us, it's a bit of a sort of dreamboat new man Samson with his soft brown eyes and his like luscious long hair. So Liz slash Delilah initially agrees to betray Samson for a a huge wad of money, but she also admits to her friend and confidant that she's intrigued by Samson sexually. And she tells her friend that she's, and these are her words, excited as a woman (laughs) to to see if Samson lives up to her sexpectations. (laughs) it's really it is as bad as that honestly (laughs) that sounds so awkward it's actually making me squirm (laughs) yeah it's very cringeworthy but it's 
such, I mean, it feeds into such a classic part of the femme fatale trope, right? Yeah. I mean, that equation between women's sexuality and their deviousness. Mm. A woman might claim to love you and she'll entice you to love her back. But as soon as you let your guard down, she'll betray you in a heartbeat. Yeah. So while the biblical text doesn't mention whether or not Samson and Delilah had a sexual or romantic relationship, the assumption is commonly made that Delilah got Samson to spill the beans by tempting him with her sexual allure and her promises of love. Mm. But, you know, what the text actually says is that she pestered and harassed him day after day until he was sick to death of the sound of her voice. So he told her what she wanted to know just to get some peace. But that's not going to make for good cinema, is it? Audiences would much rather see a sexual temptress than a nagging old woman on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I think it's what we expect to see as well. Mm. You know, the, the femme fatale trope is so ingrained in our like our cultural consciousness that when we hear about a woman having some sort of power over a man, we assume that she's using her sexuality rather than, say, for example, her intelligence or her wits to gain access to that power. Yeah. And you know, it reminds me in a way of the historical figure of Cleopatra, because she's often portrayed as this dangerous femme fatale figure. Now, Cleopatra was queen of Egypt during the first century BCE and was a really politically astute and powerful leader and incredibly intelligent, too. Mm. But, you know, throughout history, she's become recast in pop culture as this power crazed and shamelessly seductive temptress who kind of you know, air quotes slept her way to the top mm. by seducing two of the most powerful men of the day who are Caesar and Mark Antony. I read a really good article about Cleopatra recently uh, written by her biographer Stacey Schiff and she said um, and I'm quoting her here it's less threatening to believe Cleopatra was fatally attractive than fatally intelligent. Mm, yeah. Maybe that's what's going on with Delilah too. Maybe we're threatened by the idea that she's got all this power over Samson. So we explain it away by saying, or try to explain it away by saying that she seduced him rather than admit that her power might actually lie in her intelligence. That's so interesting, hey, because she was intelligent, right? The biblical text tells us that it was her words that finally broke Samson, not her sexual allure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she must have known that was his weak spot. She knows exactly what she has to do and she figures out the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah, she does. And she does it well. Mm. You know, what's, what's also interesting about some of the Samson and Delilah movies uh, that I've seen is that Samson does sometimes recognise Delilah's power and her potential for treachery, but he still can't resist her. Which kind of makes her all the more terrifying and powerful, right? Men lose all sense of reason when they meet a femme fatale. Yeah, oh yeah, they really do. And um, I mean, we see this particularly in Cecil B. DeMille's classic 1949 movie titled Samson and Delilah. Have you seen that one? This one I have actually seen. I mean, it's long, it's over two hours, but the costumes and the sets are absolutely stunning. Hey? Oh, they are, yeah. I mean, it is my absolute favourite Samson and Delilah movie. It's so camp and so glamorous and so glitzy and Delilah's costumes are just amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> Delilah's played by the absolutely gorgeous um, actor Hedy Lamar, and she does the femme fatale role so well. And I'm, I'm sorry, Liz Harley, but uh, Hedy does it so much better than you. <laughs> now, in this movie, Samson is really, really 
wary of Delilah at first. Initially, he's not in love with her at all. And um, as their relationship builds, he actually tells her to her face that he just doesn't trust her. Mm. He knows that she's a sort of honey trap being used by the Philistines to capture him. But even that knowledge doesn't stop him falling for her. And there's this great scene where they're they're kind of both half flirting with each other, half insulting each other. And it's really it's like the sexual tension is, is really intense. And we gradually see Samson's willpower just sort of crumble. And he eventually melts into her arms, despite knowing that she's there to trap him. And he even calls her a daughter of hell before grabbing her in this passionate clinch. You know, this actually reminds me of Camille Sasson's 19th century opera, Samson and Delilah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sasson depicts Samson as Delilah's former lover who left her to pursue a life of service to God. But Delilah's allure is so powerful that he forgets about his divine calling and chooses to reunite with her instead. The next thing we know is that he's bald and chained up in a Philistine dungeon. Oh, wow. <laughs> things, things really escalate quickly for Samson in that opera, for sure. But the music um, is absolutely amazing. And it really captures the passion of both Samson and Delilah. You know, Samson's got this passionate love for Delilah. And Delilah is really passionate to get vengeance against this man who dared to leave her. Mm. And there's this one aria that I absolutely love. Delilah sings it to Samson when she's trying to seduce him, and it's called uh, Mon Cœur Souvra Ta Voix. And sorry, my French pronunciation's not very good, but it literally means my heart opens itself to your voice. And it is so beautiful and seductive. And, you know, to be honest, if anyone sang that to me, I'd let them cut my hair off. <laughs> you know, I, I'd be bold and I wouldn't care. <laughs> you let us know the secret of your strength. <laughs> yes, it's my secret too. <laughs> but, but it's really, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because these cultural portrayals of Delilah really reinforce the myth of women's treacherous sexuality, don't they? Mm. I mean, Delilah's sexual allure is so powerful that even the mighty Samson is no match for it. Even God can't compete with it. Mm. And that must be terrifying. <laughs> now, in reality, you know, a woman's sexuality is very often less a source of her power than a source of her vulnerability to all manner of sexual harm and abuse. Mm. But the femme fatale trope really ignores that, doesn't it? And it just leaves men deeply troubled by the dangerous potential of the sexualized women. And you know whose story really resonates with that? Monica Lewinsky's story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the woman who's been accused by so many people of using her sexuality to wreck the career of a US president, no less, Bill Clinton. Remind us of what happened then. Yeah, so in 1995, uh, Monica was working as an intern at the White House when she began having sexual encounters with Bill Clinton in the Oval Office. And of course, when this was eventually discovered, it threatened to derail Clinton's presidential career and led to an unsuccessful attempt to impeach him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. 
So Clinton had been accused of previous sexual misconduct when he was governor of Arkansas and during his time as president. So there's a bit of a, a pattern emerging there. There is, definitely, yeah. But despite that, Monica was painted in the media as this treacherous femme fatale who had kind of tempted a weak and gullible man for her own gain. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she actually bore the brunt of a huge amount of public outrage and, and slut-shaming while he was by some people at least, seen as the victim. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that public response really ignores the huge power difference between Monica, you know, a young, unpaid female intern, and one of the most powerful men in the world, the President of the United States. But, you know, the femme fatale trope would have us believe that even the most powerful man is no match for a woman's sexuality. It's it's a real get out of jail free card for powerful men oh, right? totally, I mean, yeah. sometimes quite literally yeah yeah the trope of the irresistibly beautiful but dangerous woman is so deeply ingrained in our imaginations that we don't stop to ask questions of power and consent men like bill clinton are almost absolved of their part in the relationship i mean at worst they might be pitied for letting down their guard and falling for the oldest trick in the book seduction by a beautiful woman But we're almost conditioned to side with the unfortunate man who's fallen prey to feminine wiles, while the woman involved is completely othered. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. Mm. And I guess speaking of othering, there is another element of Delilah's character that's often highlighted in her cultural portrayals. Mm. Um, If we go back to Sanson's opera and the Samson and Delilah movies, Delilah is always depicted as a Philistine woman, a foreign woman. Yeah, but the biblical text doesn't tell us much about Delilah's ethnicity, does it? No, no, it doesn't. Um, So Judges 16 verse 4 simply says that Samson met Delilah in the valley of Sarek. And now this was a fairly large region that lay on the border of Israelite and Philistine territory. So it's unclear who it belonged to at that time. And it doesn't give us any clues as to whether Delilah was an Israelite or a Philistine woman. Plus, I mean, I guess she could have been from anywhere, really, and was just living in Sarek when Samson met her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just says that he met her there, not that she was from there. Yeah. And, you know, we don't get any other clues about her ethnicity either. We often see biblical women and and sometimes men being introduced by a family name or an ethnic affiliation, you know, like Tamar, sister of Absalom, or Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal. But Delilah isn't given a similar introduction that could help us identify her lineage or, or where she's from. So we're still kind of clueless. Yeah, okay. But what about the fact that she was working with the Philistines to betray Samson? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why a lot of people assume she must have been a Philistine. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's true. Although it isn't the strongest evidence, because if we look back the chapter before Samson meets Delilah, in chapter 15, we read that it wasn't just the Philistines who were keen to get rid of Samson, because he was causing quite a lot of grief for the Israelites too. The Philistines kept invading Israelite territory, trying to hunt Samson down. So at one point, a large group of Israelite men meet with Samson and say, like, we're going to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines because you're causing us far too much trouble. Now, that doesn't work. And Samson escapes eventually. But It does raise the possibility that Delilah could just as easily be an Israelite working with her fellow countrymen to get rid of Samson from the region. That's really interesting. 
And don't some scholars think that the name Delilah could be a Hebrew name related for the Hebrew word for night? Yes, yeah. So that might be another clue that she was, in fact, an Israelite. Yeah, yeah, it could be. A, yeah, the, the the word, the Hebrew word for night is Lila, which mm. sounds very like Delilah. Mm. But al- although it's it's not for certain, because I think other scholars think that Delilah could be a foreign name. So the jury's kind of still out. Okay, so basically we don't know what ethnicity Delilah was. No. But it's so interesting that there's this general assumption that she's a Philistine. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Kaz, about those age-old suspicions about foreign women being dangerously alluring femme fatales. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we're drawing on that myth to explain how Delilah seems to have so much power over Samson. Mm-hmm. I mean, we jumped to the conclusion that she was a foreign woman who had this incredible sexual power. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's such a good point. And, you know, maybe readers would prefer to think that only a foreign woman would betray Samson. Like, surely a sort of good Israelite woman wouldn't be capable of such a thing. So there is another feature of Delilah's character that's often understood as further confirmation she's a femme fatale, and that's her motives for betraying Samson. Mm. Like, why did she agree to help the Philistines capture him? Mm. Now, the text doesn't say explicitly why she agreed to work for the Philistine elders, but we are told that they offered her a really huge amount of money, uh, 55,000 shekels in all. And in today's money, I did a bit of intel on this background <laughs> research, and you know, we're, we're talking millions of dollars. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite a sort of eye-popping amount. Mm. And because of this massively generous reward, Delilah is often portrayed or interpreted as this sort of greedy, mercenary, gold-digging femme fatale who was quite happy to betray Samson for cold, hard cash. Yeah, I don't know. That seems a little bit unfair to me. Yeah. Because we don't actually know what Delilah's financial status is at the time the Philistines approach her. No, no. I mean, she may have been living in poverty, so their offer of any money would have been welcome if it gave her a way to survive. And that's not the same as greed, is it? No, no, totally. I mean, if if you have nothing to start with, accepting an offer of something Mm. doesn't make you a gold digger it just means you're trying to survive Mm. but other than the money I mean do you think there's any other possible motives for Delilah to betray Samson oh yeah absolutely I mean maybe she was like a kick-ass freedom fighter trying to put an end to Samson's reign of violence in in the region yeah yeah, and I mean, that, that could explain why the Philistine elders approached her in the first place. Mm. Maybe they knew she was a kick-ass freedom fighter or, you know, a member of a resistance movement. I mean, there, there's no denying it. She is so brave and yeah. kick-ass, isn't she? You know, Samson is this super strong and violent warrior who can kill whole armies with his bare hands. But she's prepared to single-handedly try to bring him down. And it's no easy task, but she does it. So I think that she's super brave because she took a massive risk. I mean, she was so open and upfront about it too, the way she spoke to him, like, tell me how I can tie you up so that we can capture you. Mm. You It's it's amazing Samson didn't twig Mm. up what she was up to. And, you know, I would hate to think what he'd have done to her if he had found out. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that gives me another idea for Delilah's motives. Mm -hmm. What if they were more personal than political? Uh Because let's be honest, Samson, who we read about in the biblical text, isn't a particularly nice man. No, no he's, he's not. super violent. He's really volatile. He's cruel to animals. Um, yeah. 
there are some pretty big red flags there, there for me. There are. There are, I agree. And now he's lusting after Delilah, claiming to love her, hanging around her all the time. It all feels a bit predatory, mm. a bit stalkerish. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, it does. I mean, the, the text doesn't tell us what Samson thinks of Delilah, but it's not that hard to imagine that Samson's romantic interest in her could have felt pretty threatening. Mm. And, you know, just because he says he loves her or he thinks he loves her doesn't mean he wouldn't have hurt her or sexually coerced her. Yeah. So, you know, maybe rather than being a, this treacherous gold digger, Delilah could just as easily be trying to keep herself safe. Mm. And, you know, the money's just an added bonus. Mm. But it, it, it's so interesting, isn't it? So few people interpret Delilah's character from these alternative angles. You know, we prefer to think the worst of her because it plays into these stereotypes of women's capacity to betray and manipulate men, particularly for financial gain. Yeah, and actually that reminds me of some of the more recent discussions in the media about Virginia Gouffray and her allegations that Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and a number of their acquaintances, including Prince Andrew, groomed her and sex trafficked her. Initially, when Virginia made these allegations against the prince and some other public figures, she was cast in the role of this kind of money-hungry woman Mm. who was trying to make a profit by accusing innocent men of raping her. Yeah. But that totally ignores the huge power disparity between Virginia and her abusers. I think sexual predators tend to pick their victims who are already vulnerable, and Epstein and Maxwell were no exception. Mm, Definitely, yeah. I mean, when they met Virginia, she was a teenage girl with a history of homelessness and abuse, while all the people who groomed her and victimized her were incredibly rich and powerful. So, I mean, what could she do? Did she even feel able to walk away and and say no to them yeah yeah exactly I mean what what could she do and that actually raises another possibility about Delilah's reasons for betraying Samson what if she had no choice Mm. the Philistine elders were these five really powerful men and she was a single woman there's no mention of her having family or kinship networks that might have offered her protection so did she really have the agency to say no to these elders right I mean they, they may have offered to pay her And they may not have explicitly threatened her, or at least the text doesn't tell us that they did. But the power disparity between them and Delilah makes me wonder just how much freedom she really had to accept or decline their request. That's such a good point. And if I recall, it's implied in the 1984 Samson and Delilah movie because Delilah gets threatened and coerced by the Philistine leaders to betray Samson. She's not really given a choice. But what about other movies? What what motives do they suggest? Well, Liz Hurley's motives were a bit vague in the <laughs> nineteen ninety six film. Although you you just get you get the impression that the the reward money was important to her. That's completely different to Hedy Lamarr's Delilah in the nineteen forty nine movie because she was driven by pure white hot jealousy and revenge. So she had fallen in love with Samson, but she suspected that he was going to run off with another woman, an Israelite woman. So she ends up betraying him after all, because as she tells Samson, and these are her words, no man leaves Delilah. (laughs) It's quite terrifying. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, what's so interesting in this movie is that she then later, after Samson is, is blinded and imprisoned, 
she visits him in the Philistine prison and she starts to feel incredibly remorseful about what she's done and she has these sort of nightmares and she's just like eaten up with guilt and Samson does eventually forgive her and that their kind of relationship rekindles a little bit and so she actually ends up choosing to die alongside him in the Philistine temple when he pushes the pillars down he tells her to to go to save herself but she chooses to stay and die with him but the biblical text doesn't actually tell us what happens to Delilah does it no I mean she simply disappears at the end of the story yeah but it, you know it's a really interesting feature of quite a few femme fatale storylines that the femme fatale is often killed off at the end of the story or she repents of her sinful ways and she's rehabilitated into a sort of you know air quotes good woman she's chaste she's remorseful she's now loyal to her man so you know Hedy Lamar's Delilah kind of fits both these patterns because she's on the one hand, a repentant sinner, and on the other hand, she dies. Yeah, I noticed that storyline comes up a lot in the 1940s and 50s Hollywood film noir movies. The, yeah, the yeah. femme fatale is really allowed to survive as a femme fatale. Do you think that's because femme fatales are considered such a threat to men and the patriarchy that they have to be destroyed? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, we need to make sure that they're kind of contained or eliminated because they're just too powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it's because audiences kind <laughs> of want to sleep easy, <laughs> knowing that the femme fatale is no longer sort of prowling the streets mm. as this dangerous threat or that she's suitably punished for her sins and you know i wonder if the fate of the femme fatale could also serve as a warning to women yeah you know this is what happens to you if you try to subvert the patriarchy by asserting your agency so woe betide you if you step out of line then this totally makes me think of the movie fatal attraction it's such a good example of that warning <gasps> yes the femme fatale figure the the childless unmarried alex forrest ends up shot dead in a bathtub while her love Dan gets to carry on his perfect life with his perfect wife and family. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the message is like, don't be a bunny boiler, ladies. Be a wife and mother. <laughs> Those are our only two options. Yeah, it would seem so. I'm, so, I'm sorry <laughs> to have to tell you. <laughs> so let's see what we think. Is Delilah really a treacherously seductive femme fatale who's driven by greed and perverse pleasure in destroying godly men? Or... Could we, should we, understand her character in a different light? Oh, I, I think it's really hard to say because, you know, the Judges 16 text is just so vague about her character. Yeah. We really can't pin down who she is. Yeah. So she could be a kick-ass freedom fighter or she could be a vulnerable woman who's just desperately trying to survive. Or she could be a psychopath who enjoys hurting men for financial gain. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet all of these motives make her a femme fatale in some sense. You know, she is a fatal woman using what limited power she has in the patriarchal biblical world to do the job she's been asked to do. But does that mean she's also a treacherous and sexually immoral temptress? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think the figure of the femme fatale is, is far more complicated than that. And we have to look at the context she's operating in to really understand her character. Yeah. So what, what what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think we need to attend to the complexities of her character and to understand her actions in light of the broader context of her story. I find Samson a truly terrifying figure. So for me, I tend to understand Delilah's actions in light of Samson's violent character. 
But I do think that our tendency to to kind of perpetuate the image of Delilah as this evil seductress says a lot about patriarchal anxiety around powerful women. And I think it's anxiety that continues to this day. Totally, I agree. It, it definitely does. And I think the femme fatale is still very much part of our pop culture world, our cultural consciousness, and she's mm. not going to go away anytime soon. I hope you've enjoyed spending some time with Delilah, my best friend. I have. <laughs> but but let, let's wind up this episode by telling the listeners what we've been reading or and or listening to recently. Okay, so I've been listening to a podcast that actually you put me onto. You're basically my true crime podcast dealer, but it really fits with our discussion today. So it's called Women and Crime, and it's hosted by two criminologists, Dr. Megan Sex and Dr. Amy Schlossberg, and they explore things like why women commit violent crime, the psychological effects on victims of violent crime, and how women fare in the criminal justice system. It's it's a really great listen. Oh, it is. It's fantastic. Yeah, I always feel I learn a lot mm. from it. I've been listening to a really fabulous podcast that I also I, I feel I learn an awful lot from, and it's called Ellie Not So Confidential, and I highly recommend it. It's hosted by two forensic psychologists, Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott, and they kind of take you through some really fascinating crime cases that have, uh, particularly those that have taken place in Los Angeles, as well as discussing various psychopathological disorders and social phenomena that can be implicated in crime. So it's incredibly interesting and you get to think about crime and criminals from a very different perspective, which I, I found very useful. And I was thinking, I was listening to it the other day and thinking about this this episode and I thought, oh, I would love Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh to offer us a, a psychological evaluation of Delilah just to see what they think of her. It would be so interesting, hey? It would, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thanks for listening to this episode of The Bloody Bible. As usual, you'll find our show notes on the website, along with the links to our social media accounts. But until next time, see you later. And yeah, see you later. Stay safe. Bloody Bible podcast is supported by funding from the United Kingdom Arts and Humanities Research Council as part of the Shiloh Project Research Grant. Special thanks from us to... Professor Johanna Stiebert at the University of Leeds who commissioned us to create the podcast. The podcast is produced by Carolyn Blythe, Emily Colgan and me, Richard Bonifant. We also recorded and edited each episode and fortunately I didn't have to apologise too much during this last one. Our music is Stalker by Alexis Ortiz Sofield courtesy of Pixabay Music and the podcast artwork was created by Sarah Lee West. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our website.